previously on The Avatar Returns. Do you have any idea how much drinking I have to do over the next week to, to pay the price for your sins? All of these stereotypes that you could think of me, all I, 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 I shot them all down. Or I can, I, in, in, in the way that I confirmed each and every one of them. Okay, I'm glad I prefaced that by saying you're both smart people. I'm glad I could set you up for failure like that. That's what I, I, I strive for that. Tongued by the sheer shoe sounds like one of those, um, like dinosaur romance novels that were coming. <laughs> I no, that is not the same <laughs> thing, Eric. It was so animated. I mean, obviously, an animated series, yeah, I but think all of this is animated, Paul. Great observation. Is this another weird Paul perspective thing where, like, The Martian is actually the story of, like, four little potato plants? You're not wrong, Paul Smith. Look, there, there, there are a lot of things I do if June snapped her whip at me. Hello, and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm Paul. I'm Eric. And I'm AJ. And each week, we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. This week, we reach the dramatic end of Avatar Book 1 with chapters 18 through 20. That's The Waterbending Master, The Siege of the North Part 1, and The Siege of the North Part 2. Eric and I have seen both series before, but this is AJ's first trip to the world of Avatar, which means there will be spoilers only up to this point that we're discussing tonight. But before we get to all of that, how are you guys doing? I'm good. Yeah, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. <laughs> these uh, these how are you guys doing segments are always so enthusiastic. We, you know, we 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 really bring the uh, the apathy to yeah. this podcast. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I'm glad. I, I'm I'm to be honest, I'm I'm still kind of I'm getting over being sick. I was a little sick last week, and I'm I'm better. I'm feeling better now, but I'm still feeling a little tired and run down. So. Um, that's, that's most of the source of my apathy. The rest is that I'm on a podcast with AJ, but most of it is, <laughs> is getting over being sick. The feeling is mutual. Um, I am actually like, I keep feeling like I'm going to get sick, but I, I haven't yet. But for, for the last like two weeks, you can ask Paul every time we've gotten on the mic to do either this show or gobbledygeek or guesting on somebody else's show. Uh, we have a busy podcast schedule. Yes, we do. Um, I, I will feel fine until I put the headphones on, and then I think because of like I think it's like an ear ear infection because every time there's pressure on my ears, I immediately start feeling like like I start getting like sweaty and just it's horrible. That is but the most I, psychosomatic thing I've ever heard in my life. As soon as you start <laughs> podcasting, you get sick. yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I seem to be doing all right. Uh, for for this this episode in particular, you, so usually it's our listeners that report these symptoms. Well, <laughs> true. This weekend, I actually taught, I co-taught rather, a programming class. Uh, for there was a great beginners. picture of you at that. It was the most super awkward picture, was, which is fantastic. all of my pictures. It was like every time someone takes a picture, that's what a picture of me looks like, and I can't even describe it. So you just have to see what a picture of me looks like. But it's always awkward and terrible. And that's what got posted online from the class was a standard sippy cup, awkward, terrible picture. I was, it was sexy. You were, you were doing your runway model thing in that picture. I, I did my little turn on yeah, the catwalk. Exactly. Uh, but, uh, but no, how did the co-teaching go? It was great. It was great. It was a really awesome class. Um, it was tough because I was coughing for the whole time. So like when my, when my co-teacher Carol would be teaching, I would be like trying to stifle cough so I wouldn't be a complete asshole and, cough over everything she was trying to say and I failed because I can't stop being an asshole but um it went really well it was just a really awesome class Railsbridge is like a um an organization trying to get women into the Ruby on Rails community and into programming and uh, the person who replaced me at the trust is the person who got it restarted in Pittsburgh and she asked me to be a part since um they were looking for volunteers so it was pretty exciting to be a part of it and it's really awesome that my uh my uh my predator, the person who's um, taken over duties at the trust, is doing so much awesome stuff. So it was it was really heartening weekend, even if I was uh, really wanting to be on a couch sleeping for a lot of it. That's how I feel about every weekend. <laughs> like, oh, I'm having a good time. I could be sleeping on a couch. What have I done? <laughs> I, I'm I'm with people, or I'm out at something. And I'm like, no, could be sleeping. <laughs> but I could be sleeping right now. 
Instead, you're out getting drunk and spilling booze on your computer. Hey, I didn't spill booze on my computer, okay? Uh-huh. Somebody else did. Uh-huh. Wait, 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 wait. What? Someone spilled booze on your computer? Yeah, a friend, a friend of mine knocked her drink onto my laptop, and well, keys well, have been sticking ever since. What were you doing with your laptop at a bar? I, I was not at a bar. <laughs> okay. I was, I was in the comfort of someone else's home. He and carries his laptop. Computer. He carries his laptop around with him to bars so he can play these podcasts for people. That's right. Absolutely right. Nothing drives up the sale of alcohol quicker than people <laughs> having to listen to our voices. You you get a cut of the door when you do that. <laughs> I I wish. How about you, Paul? How are you? I'm good. I uh I continue to marvel at the fact that I am not sick. That I haven't been sick since. Uh, my recent vacation because I don't remember if I mentioned that the vacation that I just took, I was surrounded by other people that were deathly ill. I don't remember if I made that clear, but uh, yeah, the last uh, three days maybe of, of my vacation, everybody in the place uh, besides myself and Pam were like the, the walking dead basically. And I, I knew I was just positive that there was no way I was getting out of that without catching the fucking plague or whatever it was. But uh, knock on wood or metal in this case, it hasn't happened yet. So Awesome. I'm glad that you're not uh, falling over yet. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens by the end of this episode. But I think it would be funny if you at least took a couple pratfalls. Okay. All right. I'll see what I can do. Of course. Okay. Uh, you know, my, my gobbledygeek studio here is uh, a balcony overlooking our great room. So a pratfall <laughs> Even from better. here. Yeah. <laughs> it was, I don't know how funny it would be. but uh, Take that to like some Buster Keaton extremes, man. You can do that. All right. I'll see what I can do. It might unplug my, uh, my headset, though. You know, Buster Keaton, when he was a kid performing vaudeville, his dad had a handle sewn into his pocket so he could reach into his... Uh, pocket and fling small Buster Keaton across the stage. If he can survive that, you can survive fleeing yourself from a balcony. That is the most bizarre piece of trivia for you to break out. On an Avatar podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so look, how- look, the people the people love silent film comedy. <laughs> what can I say? We we should do a podcast about silent vaudeville stuff. Um <laughs> How can we possibly work Buster Keaton and uh, vaudeville humor into our discussion of the final three episodes of book one? How can we do it? I don't think we're up to the task. Oh, oh, I have it. I knew Buster you would. Keaton's, Buster Keaton's best movie is The General. And in this, this, uh, these episodes, Iroh becomes Admiral Zhao's general. <laughs> that, was, right. that, right. that, that wasn't bad. Yeah. I did it. Sure. All right. Good job. So... Now we have free reign to talk about whatever we want to talk about. Exactly. We don't have to talk about him being a general. We can ignore that and just move forward. Um, I, w- I wanted to say before we get into this that uh, we're recording this on November the 18th. Ordinarily, we don't announce the date that we're recording, but I just wanted to mention that date because today is the 10th anniversary of the original airing of the first episode we're going to talk about. Really? Wow. The Waterbending Master debuted November 18th, 2005. That's awesome. So... I, 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 there's Good no timing. us. Yeah, we we set this entire thing up just so we could celebrate this episode's tenth anniversary. So I hope you liked it, AJ. After this, we can call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. As as every week, we're going to start with you since you're the noob oh, to the no. series. How how did you feel about this? I mean, it was no Sherlock Junior. Oh, we're not talking about Buster Keaton anymore. Oh, geez. Um, I I. Th- so last week we were a little mixed on mm-hmm. the episodes. Um, they weren't bad necessarily, but they were some of the weaker episodes we've encountered so far. And it was a little disheartening after the highs of uh, the Blue Spirit and I forget the name of the the other one, but there were a couple great episodes the week before that. So it was it was a little disheartening to to for, for that come down. But I have to say. Man, in in the home stretch of the season, they did not pull any punches. Right. It was. I think these are I, without question. I think the the strong. This is the strongest batch of episodes we have yet discussed. I I I thought it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Awesome. Um, 
Yeah. But still, no Sherlock Jr. Well, I mean, that goes without saying. Uh, we'll talk about that on Gobbledygeek someday. <laughs> um, Eric, what about you? What do you think? Uh, same. I, I, I mean, especially the last two episodes, Waterbending Master was, was good. But um, I always had fond memories of the Siege of the North episodes as being really good. And I actually think um, being the best, being the better of the season one and season two, like endings, I even thought because not because season two's ending is bad, which is because it's not, it's really good, but that this was just incredibly powerful and probably not matched again on Avatar till the end for me. So I was really looking forward to getting back to this because I remember it being pretty, pretty intense. And as AJ said, um, not really pulling any of its punches. It's, it goes for the throat and I absolutely adore what it does. Yeah. I, I agree with all of that. Um, I really love the Waterbending Master. Um, so did I. I mean, I think all three of these. Well, first of all, these three episodes constitute the longest stretch, the longest period of time spent on a single location so far in the series. And you um, know, it really it almost felt like a three-part finale. Yeah. The, the, granted, the Waterbending uh, Master was a little more standalone, but the fact that so much of it carried over into the next episodes, it really did feel like like one. Like so I watched all of these in one sitting, so it was almost like watching a you know an hour and a half like Avatar feature. Yeah, since I mentioned the original air date for the Waterbending Master, it's I don't know if this is how two-parters normally run or, or multi-part episodes normally run in the series, but um, the Siege of the North Part One and Two originally aired back to back. I mean, they they aired on the same day, so that makes sense. Yeah. So it 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 really those last two certainly were treated almost like just one hour-long episode that's excellent that's excellent i so i want to say that i and i may, may be the only person here that that felt this way when we get with on the water bending master which i think is probably worth talking about separately from the siege of the north episodes i had one kind of significant problem with it even though i think it was a really good episode on the whole okay but but uh, but I, it was good it just wasn't and obviously it doesn't hold up to the Siege of the North, but it was you, there was one frustration. Do you do you want to go ahead and talk about that now? Yeah, sure. Um, well, so the episode is about they reach the, the the Northern Water Tribe, and Aang gets a water bending master who is in the grand spirit of martial arts masters a complete dickhead. Yes, and he's, he's like the he's like the Pai Mei of the series. He's like watered down Pai Mei. Oh my god, I made a horrible <laughs> pun. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to my world. <laughs> wow, I just walked straight into that awfulness. I'm so sorry, everyone. Um, he, so he's a jerk, and a Katara wants to learn from him, but he also, on top of being a jerk, is also a raging sexist and wants Katara to stay in her place with the healers, with yeah. the women. And the episode focuses a lot on trying to get her to learn from him, which, all right, I mean, like, I, I, I'm cool with that. I was a little disappointed that, that the waterbending tribe of the North turned out to be, like, so regressive. I, I mean, it's how it is, but that was sort of a bummer. But what really disappointed me was that... He, so you have this amazing fight between Katara and the Waterbending Master. Yes. Just absolutely yeah. incredible. And she proves herself well, and he's still like, I'm not going to teach you. Oh, wait, you're the granddaughter of the person I loved. Suddenly, I'm really nice to you. <laughs> yeah, and, that was. I did have one note where I was like, the, the resolution here might be a little too easy. Yeah. And, and it was kind of bullshit, too. It didn't actually address any of the issues that he had. Like, like she just becomes an exception. Like, she doesn't challenge any of his perceptions of who should be learning um, waterbending. She certainly doesn't help anyone else out by like cracking with this waterbending master things. It's just that she happens to be related to someone he was hot for, which is just, it's just, just terrible. So anyways, I was, I was a little disappointed. That was how they decided to resolve that story. Well, it was, it was a rushed resolution, but I, I certainly have the impression that they, that they do change their practices at that point. Like she's not just, She's not an exception. She's not the only woman that's going to be taught. I felt like that sort of changed their policy. But she's the only woman in the class. Like later on, when we see her training, it's like her and a bunch of dudes. Yeah, well, uh, who, oh, who she is kicking the ass of because Katara is the fucking best. But, um, but so like I don't know. Maybe they do. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I guess that like that might be something that does eventually change. But it was just sort of like a bummer that that was like Avatar is usually really canny in how it resolves those kinds of conflicts. And that definitely felt like all their brain power was going towards the end of the season, and they were like, "Shit, we have to resolve this somehow." Let's, I, let's just my, do this. 
my charitable read of that resolution is that it's almost sort of like a like a, a Grinch type thing where like his heart grew three sizes <laughs> uh, because <laughs> like not, not just that and it, I, this could all be bullshit because I, I, I want this to be less of a weakness than it is. Um, but not just that it like she was she's related to someone he was hot for, but maybe be, his experience with uh, Kana, who is uh Katara's grandmother uh, hardened his heart so much. I mean, you already have these regressive uh, policies in the Northern Water Tribe, and then his heart was so hardened by the way that woman treated him that he then began taking that out on all other women. Maybe uh, being confronted again with the reminder of the love that he felt for her, um, he again, like his heart grew three sizes, and he decided to magically become a different person. Wow. Though I don't think that read is supported by the the series, I I do I really appreciate the the attempt on that. That was that was a that was a, a valiant effort to make sense of of lazy writing. Very very Thank good. You. I'm, I, Thank I'm you. I'm legitimately That's impressed. That was good. Good job. I, I I do that in my daily life with my own writing. I uh, I wasn't <laughs> quite as bothered by that as you guys were, but I I enjoy your read on it, AJ. Uh, interesting point I want to mention since they they named Grand Grand. I hate that word. Uh, they named Grand Grand uh, Kana. If I remember correctly, uh, I read somewhere in some interview that that was the, that's what Katara's name was originally going to be. When they were first creating the character, her name was Kana. And for some reason, they decided they didn't like the name and changed it to Katara. Instead of Grand Grand, they should have just gone with Gangi. Please. Why can't? Never mind. Katara's Gangi Kana. (laughs) No, just stop. Um, Paku could have been her pop-pop. Oh, Lord. The fact that you call it Pop Pop AJ tells me you're not ready. <laughs> I knew we were friends for a reason, Eric. Uh, um, Master Paku, by the way, is the. Did either of you know this? That is the waterbender that we've been seeing in the opening title sequence of every episode. Yeah, I did not know that. I did not piece that together. Well, that's him. So, again, by the way, for new listeners, <laughs> I, I am not looking up how to spell these names. This is like a game you anywhere. play. It is. It is. I want to know how close I, I get each week. Uh, so in my notes, I just I I my I, I give my best guess. So Paku, I feel pretty good about this. Paku, I have spelled P A K U. Oh, so close, so close. There's two K's. Oh, damn it! It comes from the uh, the word Paku Paku, which means to flap your mouth. Are we going to do the Pac-Man, Pac-Man thing from uh, Scott yeah. Pilgrim now? Yeah, I was, I was going to, but you. Is that really where it's from? <laughs> this, is, this is just. No, I, to... no, that's not where that comes from. Okay, thank you. This is just going to be us devolving the podcast into quoting our favorite Michael Sarah projects. Well, yeah, that's what <laughs> I've already had two in the last sixty seconds. That's what I was going for from the very beginning. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'll All try right. to remember any lines from Superbad. Uh, oh, jeez. Um. Let's see. What else did we get? Okay, you, you, you mentioned the fantastic fight between uh, Paku and Katara. Uh, my note on that is I was watching um, at some point, I can't remember where in the episode, but at some point we get a sort of flashback to um, the Blue Spirit fight. Uh, God, I wish I could remember what circumstance that happened. Oh, in. that was earlier in the episode, I think, when... Um... When Zhao realizes that, oh yeah, he sees the swords. Yeah, he, he sees the two swords two together. And... Yeah, okay. So my note was, if you're going to give us a flashback to the blue spirit freeing Ang, you'd better come correct with some decent fight choreography of your own. And then a couple notes later, I'm like, well, this episode did just that with uh, the duel between Paku and Katara. I think that was the best fight of the season. What do you all think? I I would agree with that. Yeah. I, I mean, mm, man. I'm reluctant to put it above that whole blue spirit thing, but yeah, it was pretty, pretty awesome. I mean, you got the ice slides, you got uh, the, the razor sharp discs of ice being flung at each other. And And at no point, at no point does it feel like a generic fight. That's one of the things, even like from the first episode that we, we recorded, one of the things that has impressed me so much about this series um, is that, these do not feel like generic fight scenes. Like there are each each form and each character have their own distinct fighting styles, and I feel like this was just so far the best e- expression of that. It was just such a great fight scene. Not only did it, like you said, have the clever like the ice discs and all that stuff, but it was just really. It felt like two people fighting, 
mm-hmm. and it was great. And and it's actually really it's probably the best pace too. Like it's not only that the moves are fantastic and the moves are absolutely fantastic, but there are lots of moments that it quiets down when Katara gets knocked over and she gets up and there's like even just the little grace note of the, her breath. We can yes. see the cloud of her breath as she like gets herself ready. And her hair and is she gets, getting more and more disheveled as the fight goes on. Yeah, I mean, exactly. It feels like like a like legitimate um, like martial arts film, like a great martial arts film fight. Like mm-hmm. the, the the whole like you know, high and lows of it and everything. It's It's got the whole package, not just great moves, but it feels like a whole story is contained in that fight sequence, which is exactly what you want out of a martial arts fight yeah. scene. And it just, it's it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Yeah, I mean, I, I loved pretty much the entire thing, but like the, the high point of that conflict for me was when she like locked her feet in place in the ice so that he couldn't knock her off of that pedestal. I don't know why I was like, that's, that's awesome. I love that. so badass. Yeah. Just, just a hint of how badass Katara will eventually be. That is excellent to hear because I would I would have to say Katara is probably my favorite character. Nice so far. Nice. Yeah, definitely my favorite. I mean, she's she was my favorite having watched it the first time, and this rewatch is doing absolutely nothing to challenge that. Right on. Excellent. Um, something else we get in this episode: we get the uh, the pirate guys yeah. from the waterbending scroll. Right. They come back, um, and Zhao hires them to blow up Zuko so that it will look like they were taking revenge instead of Zhao assassinating Zuko. Right. Um, yet another, I, yet another dark place that this uh, this Nickelodeon yeah. series goes to. Oh yeah, um, and like two of these three episodes have pretty downbeat endings. And yeah. after the, the last week, uh, after the what was the Southern Air Temple? Or mm-hmm. the Northern Air Temple? I forget which one. Northern Air Temple. Um, that had a really downbeat ending. Um, I, I, I'm impressed by that. I think it's definitely... Um, th- this series from the beginning has always set itself uh, apart from what you would think of as an American uh, children's animated show. And I think it's it's maturing even more as the season ends. Yeah. You know, one thing that I, I think I noticed for the very first time on this viewing, I don't know how many times I've seen it, but... In the uh, in the explosion, when the pirates blow up Zuko's ship, uh, you get the shot of the fire like racing down the hallway as Zuko turns around to see it, and and uh, he's engulfed in flames. You get just I paused it and rewound like I, I it's there. You get a very split second glimpse of him sort of spinning the fire around himself in a sphere before he's completely engulfed and you can't see him anymore. So you do get just a fraction of a second of of you know a hint that he didn't actually just get burned to death i guess that's a good question why did jal think the the best way to get rid of a firebender was fire (laughs) well i mean you know it it did actually blow up the ship too like there was physical damage and everything if if uh zuko had still been in bed in his chambers he probably would have died true but because that one stupid pirate made the door squeak that stupid door squeaking pirate. It was your favorite too. It was the it was the pirate oh, Barker. The I guy, know the guy whose I voice know. you hated so much. I uh, trust me. I, when I heard it again <laughs> this week, I remember the hatred came surging back. <laughs> and, and speaking of hatred, this really, this is these episodes and starting with the water, uh, waterbending master really exemplifies uh, Admiral Zhao's unceasing march into asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. By the way, unceasing march into assholery is the perfect title for your autobiography. <laughs> nah, it's down on the list. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> all right. Did we? Uh, was there anything else we had to say about this? Yeah. Um, in this episode, that this is when we meet uh, Yue. Yes, Princess oh, Yue. Yeah, that's right. We meet her in this one. Yeah, you're right. Um, and so again, spelling. Uh, how, how did I spell it? I spelled it. Uh, this one, I'm not as confident about. Uh, Y-U-E-H. Oh, no H. You almost had it. Oh, man. Ah, oh, so Sorry. close. Both I'm getting better at this. If you had taken that H and bent it into a K and added it to the other one, you would have been perfect. Oh, my God. My God. It's all One letter too few on one, one letter too many on the other. Yeah. I'm going to get this right. I'm going to get the hang of this. What, which, one, which one did you nail? You nailed one of them, and I can't remember what it was. 
I died. Yeah, oh, you well. did. Last week you got something. Yeah. It wasn't Monkey Yahtzee. No. Um, I, I, I never remember your successes <laughs> as well as I do your failures. So. <laughs> Who does? <laughs> I loved I loved Sokka attempting to ask Yue on a date. <laughs> what did he want to do? Like, do you want to go do some activities? What did he say? Uh, I'm thinking maybe we could do an activity together. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, on, on an innocent show like this just shows that he's being, you know, clumsy on any other show that would just have been a metaphor or a I euphemism. Mean, I still picked up the joke there. Okay. I, um, and then later on, he asks her again a slight, with slightly more confidence, like, do you want to do something? And she's like, do an activity, you mean? And then he fumbles and he's like, yes, at a place for some time. <laughs> <laughs> how much Which time is, Sokka how much time I love when he did the first like do an activity thing that when like there was a pause and then he just started shoving food into his mouth that was like such a yeah. well played comic beat yeah and then Katara's like very smooth Prince Sokka has really evolved into the actual comic relief that I feel like the show wanted him to be early on and wasn't all that successful but at this point his comic relief I feel like his comic relief game is strong now yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. absolutely um okay so shall we move into the two-parter yeah all right so some stuff happens in these two-parters aj uh, yeah aj how you how'd you feel about these we can talk about the, these as a unit i guess yeah, yeah. The, they were they were fantastic though i i'm gonna i'm gonna confess ignorance or confusion or, or whatever uh on one thing the whole moon and ocean spirit thing uh-huh the really, and I think this is just me, kind of lost me. Like why, why I, I was, I was struggling to keep up with the significance of that and how that worked. Um, so this may just be my thing because typically when it comes to these kinds of stories, um, I mean a good example, and and this, and I think Avatar is much more successful at this kind of thing than say Bone by Jeff Smith which we're talking about uh, on Gobble Geek right now. Great series. Great series. The mythology is insanely convoluted and hard to keep up with. Yeah. Um, and I, I got just a little of that, a slight hint of that, from all of the moon and ocean spirit and the koi fish and the thing. And the, I, I, well, I kind of I got lost a little bit. Like, um, I think it was Eric that mentioned this in our, one of our recent shows. Uh this early in the series, I mean, it's not really early in the series, we're at the end of the first season, but you can kind of feel that they're still sort of working out the rules, basically. I feel like the whole spirit world thing, they haven't totally nailed down exactly how it's going to work and what the significance of it is and, and that kind of stuff. But the, the way it's explained within these episodes is that um, the, the, moon and ocean spirits long ago they they gave up their spirit nature to become physical and to manifest in the world and that's what those fish were i guess they didn't give up their spirit nature because they're still spirits but they're physical they now live in the in the right. mortal world and that's what those fish were and uh, yeah i mean i i think i think part of my problem and i not really a problem i didn't not that i thought it was poorly executed i thought it was there's some really great stuff uh with the moon and ocean spirits but i think part of my problem with any show when it does this is that it introduces this really like crucial piece of the mythology like in the same episode that it needs to be resolved right. and that always kind of bugs me a little bit because i feel like something with uh, that kind of importance should have been set up, like a, a not like a super long time ago, but at least before the very episode where, like, it's needed. Mm -hmm. Which it's that's a good point to make, and I, I've I stressed earlier in the this podcast series that Avatar is pretty darn good about seeding things for the future, like stuff right. that sort of seems irrelevant or a one beat element now may come back later. Um, you're right. Considering how well they do on that normally, they probably could have found a way to see this. You're referring, of course, to the fact that we find out waterbenders derive their power from the moon. Is that what you're talking about? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it and, it, and that is something that we will that actually enters the mythology in a serious way, and we will see 
how that plays out again at some point. Right. Um, yeah. Not necessarily with that specifically, but that becomes, I will say that the one thing I do like is it becomes a standing part of the mythology in important ways later. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, I, mean, it, I, I guess it, it, it was, it was sort of foreshadowed in a way just by them letting us know that uh, firebenders, cause I feel like before this, we, we knew firebenders, um, draw strength from the sun, right? Hasn't that been mentioned before? I feel like this, that, like, the Siege of the North Part 1 was the first time that got mentioned. Was it? Okay. All right. Well, I mean, we know they get power from the comet, but anyways, in in any case, yeah, Eric, Eric, you're absolutely right. This is a thing. They do absorb this into the mythology, and it comes back later, but... I mean, it, it pays off really well here. It was just, when it comes to these heady mythological things for me, like, if it gets thrown at me out of nowhere and I'm expected to run with it, I personally, as a viewer, have trouble with that sometimes. Yeah. Here's my, so I, since AJ, you did the defense last episode, here's my defense of this. Um, up till now, these three characters had no way of learning that for the most part. Um, not This is the first time they've come across waterbenders of any serious stature. And so the mythology and um, mysticism behind waterbending would be something that they really probably wouldn't have learned until that's, they got to a fair. group of waterbenders. That's fair. Though you do get, like, then you get to Zhao saying that he learned long ago that his destiny was to kill the physical incarnations of the moon and uh, ocean spirits. And I feel like that could have been... Would- would you so. have really wanted more scenes of Zhao earlier on? <laughs> if it was him ta- being bananas talking about killing the physical manifestations of spirits, maybe. Uh. Um, I, I mean, I do agree with you, AJ. And I think that the, this is one of those things that Avatar straddles the line. I think we've talked about this before between how serialized it can get and having to be a Nickelodeon's kids show a little more awkwardly than I feel like its successor series ends up doing. I feel like Korra ends up leaning really hard into setting up stories earlier and, and paying things off over time in a way that Avatar probably wasn't allowed to, frankly. Mm-hmm. So I do think there are times like this where I feel like mythology, I don't think, I, and I could be wrong, Paul, and I'm, I don't have anything in specific in mind, but I feel like this is not the last time we're going to have mythology given to us at an opportune moment for the story. No, I, I feel like it happens again. I mean, that's that's something every genre show does. I'm not really talking about this as like a, a huge criticism that, ha- that hampered my enjoyment. Just kind of pointing out why, again, just for me personally, why this stuff can sometimes be a little hard to process. Yeah. It, it absolutely comes to a degree out of nowhere. I mean, I, I'm, I'm totally... I'm totally with you on that. I like the mythology. I kind of love the idea that these two... Um, linked spirits are koi fish in a pond. There's something oh, about yeah. that Me iconography too. that I really like. Whether or not I entire, I mean, I mean, honestly, Jay, I don't, I don't know that I entirely understand why they did that or what what's going on with the koi fish right. spirits. Yeah, but, I'm not sure what the not sure what the symbolism is there, but it's a great image. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I kind of I love the yin yang thing that that it's playing at there, basically. Yeah, we so we might as well I mean this is skipping ahead a little bit but since we're talking about it as one solid episode uh we can look ahead a little bit to uh Ko the face stealer. Yes, who holy is crap. Possibly yeah. one of the creepiest things that this series ever does. Ko is genuinely unsettling not just for a Nickelodeon show but for any show, yeah, animated or live action that I've seen. Genu- deeply, genuinely unsettling. Yeah, and I mean, it, it is, you know, it is a Miyazaki level yes. um, imagine like piece of imagination that they drop yeah. down. It's the especially because of the way it's constantly changing faces. Like that's really the thing is scary in some ways, like in sort of a like a abstract way. But the way they execute the face changing is so effective and so disturbing. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, the voice. I didn't look to see who the voice actor is, but uh, just I feel to... like I feel like it must have been someone. So that's why I, I agree. I was like, I should have really looked at this. Let's see here. Let me look at this really quick. Uh, let's see. Hey, AJ, do you? How did you spell co? Um, <laughs> I I think I just spelled co K O. K O. There's the H. There's the H you wanted. Yeah. Was on co. Oh, God damn it. Eric Todd Dellums does the voice. I have no idea who that is. I don't recognize that name. So. Yeah, I, I, he has not done. Oh, oh at, wait, he was in the wire. Oh, whoa! 
AJ, who was Dr. Randall Frazier? It looks like it was maybe season one and season two. I don't know. He would, but he was, uh, and he was in Homicide as well. So what was the, what was the wire character's name? Dr. Randall Frazier. All right. Well, I know everyone, everyone listening to the Avatar <laughs> podcast can't, can't wait to hear about this, but hold on. Uh, right now, Greg uh, Sadashni is screaming. He knows. He knows. <laughs> he right wants now. to tell us. He oh, wants he's, to the, tell he's us the coroner. He's the coroner guy. Like okay. the, the guy who yeah. does the autopsies. So. I, I just pulled that up. Yeah. So there you go. There is Code so, Face Killer. So yeah. So he's a he's a coroner on one show, and here he's a, a spirit that steals people's faces. Yeah. I, and I'll be honest. Even having come back to this, I know I saw it, but I couldn't remember the resolution. I was sure. Aang was not going to be able to pull off not showing any emotion. You I know, was it's, sure gonna... <laughs> it's so great. As I was watching this episode earlier today, Pam was in the other room, but she could hear it. And the uh, the so we get Avatar Roku again uh, coming in to advise Aang. And he says, you know, when you're speaking with Ko, you have to remain absolutely calm. You cannot show any emotion of any kind on your face and Pam from the other room just laughed out loud she was like yeah that'll go great because Aang never makes funny faces or has emotional outbursts (laughs) that was really that was really tense like I was genuinely tense watching those scenes yeah it was great I mean I I love I love the spirit world stuff overall just for like it's so like the like the baboon thing that he talked to Mm mm-hmm like there's that go chase that thing that'll help you. Did you notice that uh, Co had that? Had they he called it a, a blue nose and called it oh you're just a curly tail blue nose and then it turned around and had no face and one of the scenes with Co he had a baboon's blue nose face. Ah, god damn it, creepy <laughs> as fuck. Um, by the way, that baboon thing that he talks to in my notes I wrote is that monkey Yahtzee? <laughs> I knew, I knew you would either. <laughs> comment about that or the the monk monkey <laughs> which i i have to say i love that the angry monkey monk just he's he's not there for any reason except just to be obstinate i feel like if jason tavers was here right now he would say the monkey monk with the funky spunk there you go he just ruined this podcast he didn't have to be here yeah. you did it for him so good job um but I, yeah, uh, all of the spirit world stuff it has such a great atmosphere. It feels, it feels like eerie. It feels really eerie mm-hmm. and weird. And I, I, I thought the execution on that was great. It's also, it was also a fantastic, just visual break from all of the, the blue and white, like the the frozen north, the ice, the snow, the water. We've had basically three episodes of all that, and then we get this little pocket of warm tones orange and and yellow and i don't know it was a nice visual break yeah also the giant wolf spirit that went walking through the background of one of the spirit world scenes i'm pretty sure that that spirit play plays an important role in one of the tie-in comics that follows avatar nice so interesting anyways so so let's talk about the actual siege and (laughs) battle that follows because i want to i want to talk about that because first thing i want to say is tanks bitches i knew it i knew you were gonna love that (laughs) yeah oh yeah i was i was happy to see those babies again Uh, how we actually one thing i forgot to mention before we before like right before the the siege started how bad are things when you're upset that they're not putting Sokka in charge of a battle like when they, they found someone who you're like, that guy's less less able to pull this off than fucking Sokka. Yeah. Sokka would be better at this than you would be. That's how far either that's how far Sokka's come, or that's how much of a complete douche that guy was. Okay, it's probably both. Han, his name was Han, Han by the yeah. way. Um, yeah, it, it was a bit of both, but um, I mean, they still showed us how competent Sokka is because I mean, he he knew that they had the wrong fucking fire nation uniforms and he knew that their leader was admiral zhao um by the way han the fiance uh ua's fiance uh could not pronounce shit like he <laughs> called Sokka soka yeah and said zhao zhou and then he has the greatest i assume he just died after this yeah i, I, I don't know if he <laughs> I, comes back or not but yeah i i hope I, that he's I, dead i hope he just i hope he just drowned <laughs> he gets the greatest like 
he runs out in the outdated armor like Zhao, prepare to meet your doom or, or something like that. He calls that. him Choi. It's... He doesn't even get it right that time either. <laughs> and then as he's running at him, Zhao just like flips him over and he just like falls into the water. And then they just continue. He just continues his conversation with Iroh. Yep. That was such a great Whedon-y comic <laughs> moment. Literally the only tolerable moment Zhao has in his entire life. <laughs> The only person I'm glad Zhao murdered. Because, again, I'm just viewing that as straight-up murder. Han is dead. Han is dead. Han died. I mean, I don't know that for sure. I'm just saying he's dead. Han drowned first. (laughs) (laughs) But, but yeah, the fight, the battle itself, you know, pulling off these kinds of, like, big army sieges can be a little overwhelming for shows and movies. We see them, like, all start to look kind of samey after a while. But I feel like this one had a really great ebb and flow to the battle. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you did you did you find like the rest of you find that this like the pacing of it really effective as well? Yeah, um, I mean it helped that they they actually split it into two, like they attacked on one day and then they had to stop for the night. So you had the first round of attacks, and then you had some breathing space, uh, and then they attacked again. But um, yeah, it also helped that there. I mean, we got action, you know, out on the ships when Aang goes out there and and destroys all the trebuchets, and which I thought was fantastic. I loved all that, um, and I was impressed that he sank. He said, "What did he say? About a dozen ships." Yeah, uh, but you know, there's just too many. He's only one kid. Still, twelve ships. That's pretty. That's pretty impressive. By the way, each week I have to compare Avatar to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. And that moment where, um, <clears throat> excuse me, where UA is like, but you're the Avatar. He's like, I'm just one kid. That reminded me of the that reminded me of the moment in the Buffy season one finale where she is trying to explain that she is just a girl. She's like, I'm 16 years old. I don't want to die. That was in my notes. Okay. <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, yeah. Well, what have you got, uh, Eric? Take take us into the. Fo- uh, oh, hang on. I do want to say I absolutely loved the whole sequence of uh, Zuko sneaking in to the fortress or whatever. Just watching him uh, again. He wasn't actually the blue spirit, but it's still it's that kind of thing. I, I love watching him be competent. It, it, we hit this moment now in the series where, as much as I want Aang to win, there are times where I'm kind of half rooting for Zuko to pull it off, just because I feel so mm-hmm. bad. For Zuko, because he really isn't a bad like he's not really like he's not incompetent. He's a competent guy, and and he keeps getting shit on by life. And there's a part of me that just kind of wants him to get the Avatar and bring him home to his dad. Yeah, which he he came closer this time than he yeah. ever has. Yeah, yeah. I really yeah. like that whole arc of him. You know, he he captures uh, the Avatar, and then I mean we'll we'll get into what leads to that moment. But then by the the episode's end. Um, Iroh is surprised that he's not like currently searching for the Avatar and he's just like, I'm tired. Yeah. Which to me signals that Zuko will, maybe he won't be so focused on capturing Aang. Maybe there, there will be more, more to his character than just that. We actually forgot to talk about Iroh's whole, you're like a son to me. Yes. Talk to, oh yeah. To Zuko. Yeah. Oh that, my God. That was really, that I, uh, I, I I had forgotten they made they had such a like effusive conversation before the end of the season. I didn't realize that was coming, mm-hmm. so it really caught me off guard, and I found it really really effective. It, it was it was touching. It was great. Yeah. I mean, I, I put that up not only to to good writing, but also uh, acting. Um, Mako or Mako, however you say his name, uh, just the way he delivers those lines was very touching. Was this the first mention of his actual son? No, so. n- n- no. Early on, they talked about the fact that he was a retired general, like he retired after his son died. But it was just kind yeah. of said in passing, like they didn't really make that big a deal of it. I think okay. I'm pretty sure. But okay. I think this is the first time where we see, you know, what kind of effect that has had on him when he almost breaks down talking about after his son died. Poor um, Iroh. Yeah, poor Iroh. Um, we also get some some more badass Iroh in this, but are you talking about we'll when he's playing that. the loot? Yes, that's yes, exactly that's what definitely. I'm talking about. That's badass that awesome. Iroh right there. That's awesome. Um, but so we get we, so there, there's the whole big battle, which is great. But and there's also Ang 
taking care of the spirit world, but it all sort of coalesces into general asshole, sorry, admiral asshole, um, <laughs> attempt to kill the water spirit, which leads to kind of horrifying moment when the everything turns red and then turns yeah. black and white. Yes, I, you know, I had my, I mean, before that fight happened, we get the Katara Zuko rematch. Yes, I'm sorry, which is also oh, yeah. great. I apologize. I totally forgot about that. And that is a, a pretty badass fight. That That is a great fight. And it also gave us the great line. I, I love Zuko when he's a, just a petulant dick. Um, After she's like iced, completely encased him in ice, he's like, you little peasant. You found a master, haven't you? I was like, God damn it, Zuko. You're such an <laughs> asshole. And I loved it. I loved that. But peasant. yeah, that fight was fantastic. That moment, by the way, where Zhao... Uh, kills the uh, the the moon spirit and everything goes red. Like it's undercut by kind of a comic moment. I forget exactly what happens, but there's like a little joke to relieve just a little bit of the tension right before that. Like when he's going on it, like they will call me the great Zhao who conquered uh, the moon. It's a uh, Momo jumps on his head and he's like, "Oh, get it off, get it off." We get that right, awful right. Momo noise <laughs> <laughs> that happens. Yes. I hate it. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but that moment was actually kind of like genuinely unsettling in that like this is a guy who has like reached the peak of his fanaticism. Like and he's just like like Zhao the Moon Slayer and all and like everything's turning red and like that was that was pretty that was pretty fucking dark and I'm I'm sure they had to cut it to undercut it with that Momo moment or else the Nickelodeon people would have been like, No, too far too much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean even Dial next genocidal maniac a little bit. <laughs> well, but then he goes full genocidal maniac. Uh, when he actually kills it, when he like yeah. puts it back in the water, but then he torches it, and you get the slow motion reaction of everybody uh, to this burst of flame and the charred fish boiling in the water. Whatever. I mean, that was that was pretty damn brutal. And then Iroh loses his shit and starts kicking everybody's ass. Oh, oh man! I mean, Iroh loses his shit and Zhao freaks out. Yep, Zhao's like, I'm out of here. <laughs> Zhao, I mean, and Zhao has been no coward. Zhao has stood up to fight. Zhao is not a run from a fight kind of person. For all of his unseemly qualities any any other situation Zhao probably stands there and fights but he fucking tears ass out of there yep when Iroh loses it yeah and then after after Zhao kills the moon spirit then Aang like bonds with the ocean spirit mm -hmm. or, or something and then just the, this giant ocean spirit like wreaks vengeance and that was that was pretty hardcore it, it was both kind of cathartic to watch him do it and also kind of horrifying yeah, yeah. It, um, it's it very it very well it would be a very well executed sequence, but it's like this is the last thing you want to see Ang doing is like a fucking Godzilla monster. You, you know, <laughs> tromping everyone. I figured that Eric would love this because it's basically Ang's Spirit of the Ocean kaiju moment. Yep. But I have to tell you, can I tell you what the uh, the creative team called that creature? What Koizilla. Nice. That was their that was their name for him in all in their scripts and all their notes. It's Koizilla. Koizilla. Nice. <laughs> so. And then the spirit like like Zhao gets killed, right? Oh yeah. In the same way that Han gets killed? A little more on camera <laughs> than Han, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why I said Han Han drowns first. Um <laughs> the, the, obviously it's not heartbreaking that Zhao dies. Like everybody, you know, no, nobody gives a shit about Zhao. Um, what's heartbreaking about it is that, so he had been in the middle of a fight with Zuko, a really like, you know, a fight that brings up all of their like resentment toward each other and the, the boiling tension throughout the season. And that was, uh, that was really, that was something. And then, uh, Zuko tries to save Zhao. Mm -hmm. Like even after all of that, like Zuko shows his fundamental decency by trying to save Zhao and Zhao straight up refuses. Yep. Zhao would rather die in battle than uh, be helped, let alone by by this kid. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so passes the worthless <laughs> Admiral Zhao. So this is this is Eric's favorite episode of the series. Yes, <laughs> I told you this is very. There's a reason this is a, a favorite episode of mine, and and the end of Zhao certainly. Yeah. Certainly when when you watch this for the first time, Eric, did you do like a happy dance? I, I wish I wish I could remember what my physical reaction was. I'm sure it was pretty awesome, but it was. It's been a while since I saw it, and I don't actually remember. But it did stick with me. I was, I I was a lot about the season that I didn't remember. But the ocean spirit Koizilla grabbing him in its giant watery claw, 
was a totally seared in my brain memory. <laughs> it was pretty great. And the the fight before right before that happens, the fight between uh Zhao and Zuko is fantastic because the entire world is black and white at that point. Yeah. Except for every burst of flame. Every firebolt uh just gives color to them but the entire world around them is black and white it was so striking yeah it's really i mean there's there's this like aura of just dread over everything from the moment that the moon spirit is killed Mm -hmm. and even like those battles like there's it it creates this like it's striking but it's sad and nothing feels right even when they win even when ang basically wipes out the entire fleet and saves the area it's impossible to feel like exhilarated by what's going on, which is which is not an easy thing to pull off, frankly. Yeah. And and it also leads to um, a really sad moment of Yue realizing mm-hmm. what yeah. she has to do. How did that hit you, AJ? That was it was pretty harsh, especially because um, you know I, I haven't known Yue for long, but she she seemed like a nice girl. <laughs> um, but but really the the effect that it has on Sokka. I mean, Sokka finds this girl that he really has uh, feelings for and who seems like a, a genuinely decent person. And then she ends up sacrificing herself to resurrect the moon spirit. I hate it when that happens. That's, I mean, like, that's, are, like, the, that's, that's the, like the cheapest way to get out of a date. That's the danger of young love. All these like self-sacrifice for the spirit world and... Yeah. yeah, you never know when they're gonna die to resurrect the moon spirit. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, that was it. Was really it was it was really touching. I, I'm ha- um, I'm happy. Well, happy might not be the right word, but I am pleased to report uh, that the emotional effects of that resonate for Sokka. Good. Like I, they, I, this I'm, this I'm does not here. just this doesn't get, just get swept under the rug afterwards. So. Good. And, and her line, uh, you know, goodbye, Sokka, I will always be with you. And then obviously she sort of becomes the moon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I you, don't tell me either way, but I kind of get the feeling that there. So you, you've already told me that that reverberates with Sokka. I kind of get the feeling that in some form, you know, obviously UA is dead physically, but I feel like maybe we'll get more. With her somehow on down the line, it's just the, the the sense that I got from that. Okay. I, this is actually something I'm going to say that I honestly am not sure exactly what happens there. You you don't remember if that happens or not. I don't remember what we. I I I I actually can't remember. No, I'm actually completely blanking on. Okay. UA stuff. My 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 brain is sort of like there has to be some stuff that I'm forgetting, but. <laughs> But I actually can't remember one way or the other. So, right. well, n- no more said on that subject then. Um, let's see. Um, I, we we probably need to talk a little bit about the whole Zuko finally gets his hands on Aang uh, a bit, because some interesting stuff comes out of that. Uh, yeah. Like we get. Um, I mean, primarily, it's just interesting to see how Zuko. I mean. What does he do when he actually gets Aang in his clutches and gets to, you know, leave the fight with the Avatar in his possession? Um, he hides in a cave. He hides in a cave because of the storm. But that gives us a great character moment. That gives us a great piece of dialogue as he's talking to the the unconscious because he's in the spirit world um, Avatar. Uh, he says this thing. Hang on, I've got it here. It says, uh, there's always something. Not that you would understand. You're like my sister. Everything always came easy to her. She's a firebending prodigy and everyone adores her. My father says she was born lucky. He says I was lucky to be born. I don't need luck, though. I don't want it. I've always had to struggle and fight, and that's made me strong. It's made me who I am. Uh, Absolutely stellar character moment for Zuko. I loved that whole bit of dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also like the fact that it reveals he has a sister. Was this the first time we revealed his sister? This is the first. Okay, so in the episode "The Storm," which was the uh, AJ when you were talking about, oh yeah, um, what was it? The Blue Spirit, and then there was another episode at the same time that we loved. It was the Storm. 
So in the storm, we get the flashback to the Agni Kai when, um, when Zuko was forced to fight his own father. And in that episode, in that scene, I said, you know, they show the crowd that's watching him fight his father, and you see uh, several characters that we recognize, generals and, and whatever, and then there's Iroh looking distraught, and I think maybe covering his eyes, I don't remember. But there was another character in that scene, and I was like, that's an important character. That's a character that's coming back. Um, now, as we are introduced to this character, we don't get a name, but we're introduced to this character in the very last scene of this episode... Um, that was his sister at the time. So in that flashback, we got to see his sister gleefully watching as their father burns her brother's face. And and this yeah. introduces probably my favorite antagonist of the series. And I'm, I'm just going to drop her name because it's not a spoiler or anything. His sister, Azula, mm-hmm. who we finally see in the last moment of the episode. I love Azula. Azula is just a blast. And I don't want to say too much about her personality until we get into it. But I, Azula is, not maybe, Azula is absolutely my favorite antagonist of the series. Azula may be my favorite antagonist of both series, frankly. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm a huge, huge, huge Azula fan. So I was really excited when they, when they brought her back in. And I remember that reveal of her and being like, what's this going to be? What's going on? I, I am hoping the process of doing these, these podcasts and having these discussions with you guys will will help me with my feelings for Azula. I don't have the same opinion of Azula as you do, Eric, but uh, we won't get too much into that because uh, we don't want to reveal, you know, what the character's like, but um, you like her. I, I like her less than you do. So maybe, well, maybe you now can I know me. I get to be the deciding vote as to whether or not this podcast is pro or anti Azula. <laughs> you son yep. of a bitch. How dare you? <sighs> We're gonna have a, we're gonna have next we're gonna have to have a Zula watch next season like we had Zuko watch this year. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so at the end of season one, at the end of book one, how do you feel about Zuko? I I, I like Zuko a lot. Okay. I like Zuko a lot. All right. Cool. What? I kind I kind of figured that was coming because that that's you know you're meant to I think by this point. But I I did find him pretty annoying at the beginning of the series, but. I yeah, I think he's pretty great now. Um oh, I did I forgot when we were talking about Azula, I forgot to say, you know, I said Master Paku is the waterbender that we see in the beginning. Um obviously Aang in the in like the title sequence at the front of every episode. Obviously Aang is the airbender that we see. Um Azula is the firebender that we see. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't remember if the earthbender that we see is anybody, I genuinely don't know if that's a character that we meet or not, but Chad, it's so, not the boulder, which we will get to. God, I can't, wait. I just got to drop that. Since we're in the season, we can drop foreshadowing. Oh, and man. I'm hoping, I wish it was the boulder. I can't the wait. boulder, the boulder. You'll know it when it happens. <laughs> okay. Um, I have a question for you guys. I feel like, uh, for for him being the main character of the show, we haven't talked much about how the effect that this finale has on Aang. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what do you guys think? Does 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 Aang is Aang changed by any of the events uh, in these episodes? Uh, well, at the beginning of the episode, he made a statement. Uh, you know, he talked about how he didn't get to be there when his people were attacked and this time he's going to make a difference. Um, so, I mean, he, he did get to make a difference, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but there's also that sort of the somber, this is kind of a repeat of the somber ending between him, him and Zuko that we saw in the blue spirit. It's a little bit of the same thing, except this time it's Zuko that escapes. But, uh, you just you just see that pained relationship, that pain that Aang has, recognizing that Zuko doesn't have to be a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. That, the the fact that Aang treats Zuko this way so early is something I didn't realize, and I really like about the series. And this is a lot about Aang. You know that in the midst of all of this, that Aang is is concerned about mm-hmm. Zuko. And, you know, starting from the Blue Spirit really is when that really starts taking shape and it kind of opens up his eyes that Zuko's a person and not just some murderous um, fire death robot. And <laughs> um, 
And I like that. And it's and it is really important because, uh, frankly, a lot of the Fire Nation are murderous fire death robots like Zhao. So it's good to have something like this relationship between Aang and Zuko be so complicated because it keeps the Fire Nation from seeming one note evil, which they verge on an awful lot. What about you? Uh, AJ, what do you think? How do you feel he's affected by this? Um, I think, uh, I mean, what you said. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think it was interesting in that, um, again, for Aang being the protagonist of the series, my interest lied with uh my my interest was with a lot of the other characters in the the finale maybe, maybe like obviously ang's journey into the spirit world that was great stuff but i was i found myself more uh focused on you know what was happening with katara what was happening with zuko and Sokka, um which i think really just speaks to how strong the ensemble is yeah yeah i mean the the whole journey north was initially set up as being I mean, obviously, for show purposes, it's about Aang, but, you know, the, the idea was to go north so that Katara could learn right. how to be a waterbender. And and this is, you know, Katara and Sokka, this is basically their extended family. So, I, it, you know, it makes sense that it was a little bit more about them. Yeah. I think than Aang, but... But it, it worked. It absolutely... I'm sorry, it absolutely worked. Yeah. Um, what else have I got? Oh, uh, this... Uh, interesting news for Eric, and I don't know how AJ's going to take this. This is Dave Filoni's swan song. Yeah, I know. I, I was actually going to mention that myself, that this is the end. And boy, did he go out with a bang, because these yeah. are two phenomenal episodes. But this is the end of Dave Filoni on Avatar. Yeah, he, he he left here to go become supervising director for Clone Wars. So, sadly, no more Filoni. No more Filoni watch, AJ. I'm I'm sorry. Oh, man. I'm sorry. But he, no, he is he he brought a lot to the series. I'm, I'm not as familiar with his contributions as you are, but just the the work itself, I mean, was great. So, all right, what, uh, do we have anything else? Are we? Uh, how do we feel now that we're at the end of book one? How do, so oh. how do you feel? What, what? How did the season feel to you as a whole? Um, I one, I really love this show. Yes, and that's that's something that I was. Um, I was a little concerned with going in. I mean, I liked it immediately, but I, going in, I was a little concerned with, uh, you know, how invested am I going to be able to to get in a Nickelodeon show, um, which is, you know, uh, that's a, a stereotype of what a Nickelodeon show is, and that was kind of a knee-jerk reaction on my part. But still, it was there. I was concerned. Um, and now, by the end of this first season, I am I am all in. I think this is a great show. I think these three episodes were phenomenal. There were other fantastic episodes throughout the season. And maybe it was a little uneven, but I, uh, at times, like on the whole, I think it was pretty consistent. But I mean, I think that's, you get that with every genre show, every animated show. Um, I, I thought it was a really, really strong uh, first season and ended in the, the best way possible. Awesome. I'm so happy. I'm so happy you can finally use the L word when you talk about this so. <laughs> lesbians yes exactly you're in lesbians with this with this show aren't you um one other thing i wanted to mention was especially because last week we talked a little bit about how i think it was uh bato of the water tribe the animation in that episode was not oh yeah best mm -hmm. the animation in these three episodes is stellar yes i'm glad you mentioned that because there is a specific scene i want to call out but it's probably not the scene, not a scene anybody else will. So, is are there any specific moments you can think of that were just really struck you? Uh, no, I just thought it looked beautiful throughout. Yeah. What about you, Eric? No, I, I'm with AJ. Nothing really. I mean, the the, the, the co scene. The What's co that? scene. The co. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that looked great. Um, I mean, obviously, I already talked about the whole black and white. You know, the red moon, and then the black and white uh, fight between. Uh, Zhao and Zuko, that was fantastic. But interestingly enough, my favorite example of animation in probably all three of these episodes, <laughs> it's a very minor thing. It's the very first scene of uh, Siege of the North Part 1. The camera starts underwater in one of the sort of canals that runs through the, the 
I don't even know what it's called, the capital, the water tribe, the Northern water tribe capital, I guess. Uh, and the animation of sort of the rippling effect on the surface of the water as it casts sh uh, light and shadow on the curved surface of the canal. And then the camera pans up and it breaks the surface of the water and you see, uh, you see the sparring going on or whatever. I, it's, it's impossible to do justice with words, but there was just something about that animation completely, you know, didn't really serve any purpose, but it was stunning. I love that you notice things like that because I feel like <laughs> I, I, no, I mean that sincerely, like, because I feel like I tend to, while I appreciate that stuff, it's not what I remember. Yeah. So I love, I love that you always bring up the small intricate details like that. Good job, yeah. Paul. Thank you. Thank you. I also I also like the uh, soot, the soot snow or whatever. Yeah, I yeah. think that's pretty cool. It's which, very ominous. Which I feel like that's a thing that comes back. I feel like we see that again. But. Anyways, nothing, no uh, significant moments from you, Eric. No, no, nothing I can I can think of. I I, I sort of took these in in one big burst, and so everything's kind of mushing together yeah. for me. Um, yeah, I I and I think that. I think you guys covered the the really stunning parts, so all right, cool. So that was that was book one. We did it, guys. Yeah, we made hey. it through one season. We made it through a season. <laughs> now we have what, like uh six more to go total? <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact. Six <laughs> more seasons to go. Um all right. So this was fun. I, I assume we're gonna continue. My contract oh, yeah. is up uh after this episode, uh, so we have to my people, your people, etc. Yeah, negotiations is always a good time of the year. All right, well, thank you everybody at home that's been following along with us. Um, as always, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at the website. That's theavatarreturns.com. Uh, and links will also be posted on our parent show's site. That's gobbledygeekpodcast.com. Or you can just subscribe to the show on iTunes. Every episode uh, will be hand-delivered to you personally by our flying email lemur, Monkey Yahtzee. Uh, please feed the lemur by dropping us an email at tarpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and of course, you can always find us on various social medias. You can like us on Facebook for all of our updates, or you can follow us on Twitter. The show is twitter.com slash tarpodcast. And on Twitter, I am at haunt1013. Eric is at salon. That's S-A-A-L-O-N. And AJ is at unplugged crazy. So uh, next week, we get right back to it as we kick off avatar book two earth uh we're moving on to a new element guys uh, we'll be discussing the first three chapters of that the avatar state the cave of the two lovers and return to amashu until then remember winter spring summer and fall winter spring summer and fall four seasons for loves, four seasons, for love.